You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Making waves. Hey, welcome everyone to this wonderful Wednesday evening here on what is it? It's August 19th. So this is Making Waves number six. And Quite honestly, it's certainly a pleasure uh, to have our guest tonight. You guys may know him as the guitarist for Alter Bridge and Creed and of his own solo act. This is Mark Tremonte. So, Mark, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me. What's happening? Dude. Yeah, this so is so good this, to see you. Good to see you guys. Really quick before we start off, Mark, uh, I, myself, and probably all the shiprockers want to congratulate you on Guitar World naming you the guitarist of the decade. I know it might be a little late coming to say that to you, but it's fantastic. So thank you. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's quite yeah. an to echo that, I sent you like 10 text messages, but I understand. <laughs> Thanks, brother. <laughs> hey, real quick, guys, if you're joining us on Making Waves for the first time out there in Facebook land, uh, you can follow along on our feed here. And if you have any questions for Mark, please pose those and we will get to those. Uh, and obviously, if you if you want to rewatch this, or if you want to listen to it or turn someone on to it, you can also find us at Google uh, Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and iTunes Podcasts. Just hit Making Waves ship rocked and you will find us there so tell you what i'm going to get out of the way for a while i'm going to monitor what you guys are doing here on facebook i'm going to let uh, chad and mark talk away thanks cool. guys thank you hi mark what's up how man? are you how's everything going is it hot is i'm in los angeles right now and it's currently uh scorching like 102 degrees how's it how's the weather in uh, orlando right now it's always hot if you take a shower and go outside and get in your car you need another shower by the time the car starts <laughs> that was uh, when every time that we've ever come through, uh, specifically Florida or Texas, it was uh, like a rush, a, a mad dash to the venue shower or whatever we possibly could just to kind of scrub all that grime off. It looks like you're in your, uh, is that your studio? Or are you uh, surrounded by like a shit ton of gear? Where, where are you at this right now? my temporary studio. I'm, um, I'm kind of in between houses. I'm moving back into my real studio in about a, uh, a month. So I just oh. got stuff just piled up all over the place in here. I love it. Is that, uh, you said, I, I, we, earlier folks, we, we chatted right before we went live and Mark disclosed that they were, he was working on a new record. Uh, so I was going to start our conversation off by asking him, uh, for which project, Mark? Because you have so many of them. Uh, for the Tremonti band, you know, it's um, Eric's in town. Eric Friedman, my, uh, the guitar player in the band, he was just recording with Projected which is John Connolly's solo act with, you know, Scott Phillips and Vinny from seven dust and, you know, you know, great, all of our buddies um, uh, just recorded a record. So he's like, you know, I'm in town. I don't need to be at home. Let's just get going on the next record. So we're, uh, we're just knocking it out. 
That's awesome, man. I'm excited yeah. to hear it. Uh, Justin and I were talking earlier about how prolific you actually are as a human being and like not just not just as a player, but, but as, a, as a human. I was telling him the, of all of the tours that I, uh, Wilson had ever went on, I have to say that being in a room and sharing a stage with you uh, was at first the most nerve wracking feeling for us as a band. But as the first day went by, we got to meet you in like the soul that you actually are. And, and we, all of our worries about being like, you know, we're not worthy or whatever. Uh, they, they weren't quelled, but you know. <laughs> you guys are sick, man. You guys put on a hell of a show. So. Oh, thank you very much. But to, to echo, to echo what, I, you know, this idea of a, of a modern rock star, I mean, you're the type of guy who has been through it all, seen it all, done it all. Have, you just consistently pump out music and it's always fresh. It, it always rocks. And on top of that, you're quite possibly one of the nicest, coolest dudes I've ever met in that, oh, in that scene. You, right so uh, how do you do it? That's my big, that's the question I have is how do you do it? How do you juggle it all? Uh, uh, you have a family, everything. Yeah, no, I mean, my family is, uh, we're super tight. I, I just tell my wife, get out on the road as much as you can. Um, you always have the green light to come crash the bus. And I love it when they're out there. When I'm on tour with my, my wife and kids, it's, it's, uh, it's like being at home or being on vacation with them. When I, when I have to go two weeks without seeing them, it's, it's a drag. But, um, but when, I, when I'm on the road, my kids and my wife aren't there, I'm working around the clock just because that's, uh, I think that's, if I'm going to spend time away from them, I'm going get, to get as much as I can do done while I'm gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so when you're actually out there on the road, how often do they come and visit you? Pretty often? I try to see them every, at least every two weeks, you know. Um, okay. Well. It's tougher when we're in Europe. My kids have been to Europe probably a dozen times now, you know. It's uh I hadn't been to Europe until I was 30 years old. My kids, Same. <laughs> you know, my kids have been to Slovakia and, you know, they've been to places where I didn't even know what it was, you know, and they've, they're, uh, they're pretty well traveled. That's amazing. So when that, when that happens, are they like the pearl of their friends when they come back home? Are you like, do, 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 do your kids and subsequently your kids, uh, friends do they know like what you do is it like a very apparent like when they come back from Slovakia touring with their dad uh, are they uh, do they understand just exactly what's happening in the world that that's always kind of blown my mind with uh you know a person like yourself who has a family you know um you know I think I think they've uh they're just starting to get it you know they were so young before they just kind of you know you'd be playing a big venue over in, in Portugal or something they'd be on their cell phone playing video games besides <laughs> yeah uh, no big deal just take a picture for the gram real quick yeah you know, one of the funniest one of the funniest things ever was um my little guy i think when he was about eight years old had a uh all his all his classmates had to put out this chart of the 10 favorite things that happened to him over the summertime and i'm looking at my kid's chart and i had nothing to do with his chart he just filled it out number one was uh meeting steven tyler <laughs> um Number two was seeing the final countdown played live. <laughs> and then wow. you know, all these crazy things that, you know, that he, he just thinks there's just every other kid gets to do these kind of things. And it blew my mind. I'm looking down that list like, man, you seem like a, you know, you've done it all kid at, at that age, at eight years old. 
Yeah. Um, Are you, did you, you sit back and compare your list as, when you were eight <laughs> yeah. years old and you're like, you yeah. mother, you little shit. <laughs> I, mean, I, mowed, I mowed the lawn and got $4. Got stung, yeah, right. by, a bee. Got stung by two bees. Yeah. <laughs> One of them fell in my, my pop can. Can I ask you, Mark, um, real quick, between 97 and today, you have done 14 albums mm-hmm. with your groups and as a solo act. I mean, and you've got, obviously, you've got one you're working on right now, and there's other projects where you've guest starred and, and things like that. And you throw in touring and everything else, and, and obviously the Dying Machine comic. And, and and Chad mentioned earlier, very prolific. At some point, I mean, where does the energy to constantly be creative from, and what's the muse for this creativity? Because, I mean, we, we all know bands that sit several years between albums, and you just seem to kind of finish this one project, and you're already into the next one right away. You hit the ground running. Yeah, you know, I, I just love, um, I love the feeling of creating something that doesn't exist and put it out there and, and it materializes into something that is so important to people. You know, it's, uh, I think music is the most uh, magical thing humans can, can create to really stir emotions in people. And uh, I think the same goes for creating stories. You know, when, you know uh, it's the next step from a, from a lyricist creating the, the, the movement in a, uh, or the emotions in a song, writing a, you know, one of my biggest, um, things I wanted to do in life was, was to uh, write a book, write a novel. And I finally got that done. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things that you're just going to want to do it for 10 years. or You're just going to sit down and do it finally, you know? So I think I read something by, um, Oh, you know, the master class uh, things. Yeah. Uh, I think James Patterson did one. And he's like, you know what, just don't come back on here until you spent 45 minutes a day writing. Then, then, then we'll go forward. You know, you just got to do it just like Nike, just do it. <laughs> um, and if, if you suck at it, everybody sucks at first and you do it again and you get a little better. And, and, uh, you know, it's just, I love being creative, you know? Now, let me ask you real quick. I want to let Chad get back in here. We've got some questions lining up here, but just personally, and this is a moment I had today, I was going back and I was kind of going through stuff and I'm obviously very familiar with, with the Alterbridge stuff and, and your solo stuff. Um, but I went back and visited some Creed and mm-hmm. when you guys wrote with arms wide open, uh, that hit me. I'm not a parent, but I can imagine being a parent, hearing that song and just getting my world emotionally crushed for because of the beautiful, the beautiful sentiment behind it. Do you, right. When you walk away and you guys have done several songs of this and all your all your formations of bands you've been with. When you write that song that you know is going to strike such an emotional chord, do you guys ever just step back in the studio after you hear it and go, oh, my God, what do we just what did we make? <laughs> I, I love it. You know, I love, I, I don't like writing songs that are just kind of, uh, uh, I want it to be very emotional, very angry, very happy, very uplifting, nothing in the middle. So those emotional songs about, you know, there's only so many times in life you can write about um, becoming a father for the first time. There's only so many times you can write about losing someone that you loved. Um, there's, there's um, those times are, are not that you look forward to any of these things more than others. You just, they're, they're great catalyst for for coming up with with uh, great lyrics and songs that mean a lot to you and when when you write a song it means a lot to you it means a lot to other people a lot of times that's that's you know you don't write something until it until it gives you the chills you don't record it yeah well thank you man because that song what 20 odd years later almost it, it's still awesome. the neck stuff so thank oh, you so thank much for, thank for thank actually you. creating that thing it's it's amazing it's amazing awesome. thank you so much um, Chad, have I want to have it away, Chad. <laughs> uh, I have a question. Like, 
there's so many you have there's you have such a a, a rich history as a, not only a musician but a person a, a creative person in the arts and um there's so many questions i have about the comic book uh so many questions i have about the novel about you being as pro, uh, a producer so um so i don't want to overwhelm you but I, I i'd like to start with the with how you find yourself not only having the time but the energy and the vision when you start to take on that producer's role and not specifically not even on your own your own music but on somebody else's project uh, I'm, I'm certain you probably get a ton of requests um, to you know be a part of another act's record in that in that capacity or, or whatnot but uh what what really like drives you to get behind to put that hat on you know for another project in and of it when you're doing so many other things uh, i think it, ha- it, it comes down to um a certain certain different things like um david ellison reached out to me from megadeth and said you know um i'm doing a solo record would love you to do a uh, write a song with me and um so i i said you know absolutely megadeth was one of my favorite probably three bands of all time um hmm. and uh so I just put on my drum machine at about 200 beats per minute and went crazy and wrote a song, turned it in and they loved it. And, uh, to me, that's just how are you ever going to say no to that? That's, that's a complete honor to be asked by one of your favorite, you know, one of your idols. So that was, that was a lot of fun. And I'm glad when I turned it in, they, they loved it right off the bat. So that's probably coming out sometime this year, I hope. Um, and then, uh, and then there's this band, um, called, called Big Story that not a lot of people have heard of. We were on tour and they were the first of three bands on a tour. And um, just one of those bands, you see them the first night, you're like, yeah, that band's great. Then you watch them the next show, you're like, man, that's a really great band. And you see it again and they, you get their record. And you're like, man, that's a really great record they, they put out. So um, we stayed in touch. And then uh, the, uh, their, their singer, Randy, texted me one night at like 1230 at night. I think he was probably drunk texting me or something. He's like, man, we should write a song together, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so immediately I, you know, I, I, I said, absolutely. I think you're a great singer. Your band's great. I, I love everything you guys do. So um, this is the first time a band sent me a musical template. They wrote all the music and I got to write the melodies and the lyrics, which was awesome because usually somebody wants me to write a, play a solo on the record or, um, you know, write one of their songs, but just to write the vocals and, and, and melodies was, that's what I think I, I like to do best. That's my favorite thing to do is write vocal melodies. So to be able to do that for a band with all, already having that sound bed down is, is fun. You know, it's, that's actually kind of what Miles does in, uh, when he plays with Slash. Slash, kind of, Slash and the band kind of put together the music and then Miles has to put vocals on top of it. So yeah. that's the first time I had to do that with somebody else's music. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. So it, it, when you're looking at it from the outside, right, you're looking at the, well, how, how you can create this perfect picture. And I yeah. would assume that that's probably pretty exciting uh, when you can see the, how the pieces fit together and hopefully I they listen to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait this to record oh, I'm sorry. This might be a good time then to bring in a question from one of our ship rockers. And actually it alludes to what you just said, Mark, about playing with, uh, with Dave Elson is like, you know, you kind of grew up loving Megadeth. She wants to know who's your favorite guitarist or mentor that got you started playing. Um, gosh, you know, when I, when I was a kid and I saw, uh, back to the future and Marty McFly just was killing it and had, you know, the dude broke his hand and the or sliced his hand open and it couldn't play. And he gets up there and plays some Chuck Berry and just kills it. That was about one of the most killer scenes of all time. Um, and then soon after that, I think I saw Crossroads and, you know, Steve Vai just 
murders of the guitar and, and uh, all the, everything in, about that movie was, I love that. It's one of my favorite movies ever. I think those two movies and the fact that my older two brothers were upstairs listening to um, my other brother, my older brother, Mike was listening to Van Halen, Ted Nugent and kiss most of the time. So um, you had these very, uh, you know, the guitar players really stood out in all these bands. And then my brother, Dan was into uh, the darkest, nastiest stuff you could find. So he, at the time he was into venom and Slayer and um, wow. you know, I, uh, just, I can't remember what else, but it was, I, I loved I loved all that stuff. So th those are the guys that really made me um, want to play guitar, you know? So it's just a mixture of this. The, the, so, so basically, you know, so Marty McFly to Edward Van Halen were basically your, the, <laughs> yes. the access of your yeah. mentors. Absolutely. I just loved the guitar. Every time I'd hear a guitar, like if I heard a Boston song, Boston would always break everything down and just have a guitar by itself. That always made my, my hair stand up in my arms. It was like I was, I was just magnetized towards that guitar. Well, Jim, that, uh, that hopefully you got the answer you're looking for. That's uh, quite interesting, too. So thank you so much for your question, Mark. Thank you for answering that for her, please. Thank you. Uh, uh, you mentioned something about, you said your childhood. I'm from Detroit, and you're yeah. from Detroit. Uh, were, when you were listening to your brothers, your older brothers upstairs, was that in Detroit? Yeah, we were listening, they were listening to the riff. Yeah. And so, uh, they would have the metal show on at midnight or something. I can't remember what it was, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, back in Detroit, it was, uh, there was a lot of metal going on back then. There was a lot of rock, a lot of metal. Um, it's almost like the heavier stuff you could find, the cooler you were back then. And we smoked Camel non-filter cigarettes and we were just 14, 15 year old, just metalheads. I was yeah. in a band probably in eighth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, uh, called Wits End. And we recorded at, uh, Sidestick Studios in, in Detroit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then I moved, my parents moved me down when I was a sophomore to Orlando where nobody even know, knew who Metallica was. So it was, <laughs> I, dudes, dudes would come, you know, when I was in Detroit, people were driving to school with Slayer jamming on their stairs. When I went to Florida, it was CC Music Factory. Yeah. You know, it was. Wow, was that's cool. a paradigm shift, right? Yeah. Right. How old were you when you, when no, you said when you moved, moved down to eighth grade? I was 15. Sorry. I was sophomore in high school. So yeah. you, you, was that because, did you, your whole family left or did you get in trouble from all the heavy metal music and they shipped you down to where CNC Music Factory <laughs> resides? <laughs> well, my parents moved and my two brothers stayed. Um, so I had two older brothers and when I moved, my one brother was getting into his senior year. So he stayed back in Detroit with my grandparents and my brother, Mike, um, stayed as well. I think he moved to Milwaukee or something. And I was by myself for the first time in my life. So it was probably one of the worst years of my life because I had no friends. I didn't fit in with anybody. I went to a school where kids wore ties um, and uh, there were all these, it was a little private school. There were all these little rich kids and they all, I just, no, none of them went out of their way to say, hey, sit next to me at lunch. So I'd go outside and, and smoke cigarettes in the parking lot and, and angry at the world. But when I was Beat on home, kids I, as they were coming. Back, <laughs> well, I would go home and I would spend all the time in the world with my four track, my drum machine and my guitar. And I learned how to be a songwriter. You know, that was, that was one year of loneliness that, you know, there's, I wrote the song shed my, uh, shed my skin about that, that year of my life. Okay. Yeah. Right on. So hold, hold on. Did you just, uh, did you just say that, uh, 
you wrote that song about this year of your life while using, I would assume a Tascam for a track and like a, what, what did you have? Like an old 808 or what, a rolling <laughs> drum machine? What were you rocking back then? I got to know a bit. Dr. Rhythm. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. The four, with the six, uh, the eight pads or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. I love it. And they, there was like pre, I never was smart enough to program it. I was just used to preset like metal patterns. You could cut, you could die, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, but I wrote the song years later about that time. Yeah. Know? yeah. So. That's phenomenal to hear. Uh, so while you're down in, in, so let me get this straight. You're down in, in Orlando at this time, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, okay. So Orlando, uh, by yourself, essentially suit and tie school, smoking fucking non, non filtered <laughs> cigarettes outside of it, beating on kids and going home and just like <laughs> essentially doing uh, a version of, uh, of Metallica meets run DMC with your, with the beat, with the Dr. Beat and the Tascam four track. And little, little did anybody know back at that high school that they were going to be messing with the big, the, the big dog. No, nobody uh, messed with me. I, didn't, I wasn't beating on anybody. Nobody messed yeah. with me. It was just kind of the, nobody, went out of their way nobody yeah. nobody nobody was you know you just want to tell kids now i tell my kids if there's a new kid at your school introduce yourself introduce them to your friends because those are some of the worst times ever being a new kid in school back then and nobody would go out of the way to do anything and you know i used to have my brothers in school so this is the first time i was really just out on my own so it was it was uh, yeah it was it was a shitty year so yeah but you know it became a, a good year for me artistically so maybe on the flip side of that coin, you ha- you should maybe tell your kids like ignore those new kids at the school because <laughs> they're the ones that are going to be rocking the free world coming up. <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> I'm going to chime in, Chris, one of our ship rockers. Uh, Mark, with the new album, is there going to be a different kind of vibe on the, on the new Tremonti record? Are you gonna are you gonna do something different? Are you gonna kind of keep the flow of like Dying Machine? No, there's going to be different vibes for sure. Um, there's, yeah, I mean my um, my manager was over. Um, he came to town. He drove miles all the way from, from Spokane, Washington, all, all the way down here to record a record. They didn't oh fly. But he came over and listened to some songs. He's like, yeah, man, it's really different. That song's really different. You know, this one song sounds like it could have been from Dying Machine, but it's, um, I'm just trying to go on with it. I'm not really, um, I don't really have a time frame where I need to be done and record. So I can just dive into my uh, garage band and, and drum up stuff that I've liked and just wanted to complete. And I'd, you know, sometimes I'm like, all right, I need, I need seven to 10 heavy ass songs. And I need this, I need to make it a diverse record. Now I'm just going where my heart takes me and um, just kind of see what happens. All right. Fantastic. Chris, there's your answer, buddy. Uh, Mark is definitely going to uh, vary it up a little bit, but thanks. Thanks, Mark. Got it. If I can ask you something about your brothers and you, it seems like not from a young age, you shared not only the love, you know, they introduced you to this whole world that, um, at a young age, but it, 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 circumventing that to, I mean, when we were on tour with you, this would have been probably 2015, I believe I, I got to meet uh, your brother and, we, and I, cause I watched you every single day do not only, so here's how, if you're listening, listen very close guitar players. So not only is, is Mark, like I said, uh, one of the kindest, most gentle, gentle giving human beings that I've ever met on the road and an, an incredible guitar player, not only, incredible, but prophylactic. He's also taking the time in between this touring schedule to give lessons and nurture the youth with their guitars. And I watched that every, I, I, I used to say it to the guys every single day, I'm like, this, this motherfucker is the real deal. Like he's, you know, like I, I saw those kids, I saw those people every single day come in and you gave guitar lessons. And I, I can't remember what venue it was. I believe it might've been, uh, maybe somewhere in Florida actually, uh, 
that your I met your brother, and mm -hmm. he, he runs with uh, with you the fret twelve or is a part yeah. of fret twelve. Like so, you guys are you guys are still like working together, uh, you know, oh, yeah. for all that is heavy metal. Can you can oh, you yeah. tell us a little bit more about what fret twelve actually is? Yeah, both of my brothers actually are very involved. You know, my oh, um, cool. Fret twelve is a company that my brother Dan started. Um, Dan, he was he was always like, you know what, you should. I used to collect all these instructional DVDs and, and tapes back in the day. And he's like, you should do one of those. And I always say, no, 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 I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. I'm, I'll record it next year. I'll say I wasn't good enough. I should have waited. And finally one day he's like, just do it. Let's start, you know, let's start this company called fret 12. You know, a bunch of guitar players, you could ask around, see who wants to do it. So, um, you know, we've got Brett Hines on there and, uh, a ton of lots and lots of people, Leslie West and, um, Michelangelo Badio has been on there, all, all kinds of people, but, um, Damn. finally did it. And now it's turned into like, now he sells all kinds of instruments through fret 12. Um, the list goes on. He's just trying to create a guitar community there at fret 12.com. So, um, he's always trying to develop new things. He's always asking me like, uh, can you think of anything that, you know, give me all the things that day in day out a guitar player needs. What do you need other than straps and strings and this and that? And, you know, cause he's, he wants to have it be a hub for, for guitar players to come and um, kind of be like a, a little hub where you can buy gear, you can uh, check out instructional stuff, you can see interviews. When bands would come through town, they'd interview all these folks and uh, they're trying to drum up as much content as they could. But um, he's just now like relaunched it again to really put a new website and everything. But uh, my brother Mike, he runs all of our social media stuff. So he's the type of guy that wakes up, gets on Facebook, gets on Instagram, gets on everywhere and answers everyone all the time. So it's, I think it has been a big help for our, for our fan base because they feel like they're part of the family because they all get answered. You know, it's, uh, we feel like we know our, our fans. Um, you know, when we go to a show, we have hundreds of people that we already know at every show, it seems like. So it's just yeah. great. Wow. So that you have this, on top of everything else, you have this cool family uh, unit centered around the idea of community in general, because as a guitar player, I, I started my mu musical career sleeping every single night with my BC rich in my bed when I was like 14 and waking up in the morning and playing, you know? Uh, and, and I, the only people I cared about, right. At that period of time were people who also were interested in like, you know, uh, guitar that wanted to be in a band or whatever it was. And, uh, I didn't, you know, it's so cool to see, those sort of things exist and how our technology today allows the youth or anybody in general to communicate with each other because your story in general, when you're just like, I, I like this stuff and I'm alone here. Had you had fret 12 uh, back then, you know, who knows how many, uh, you know, different circumstances uh, your life could have been affected uh, greatly by just having that tool at your hands. It's cool. Absolutely. I mean, nowadays, every way to learn. You got YouTube is such a great place. You know, there's no excuse why the world's best guitar players aren't popping up every, every day now. We yeah, had a question. Kind of, I'm sorry, guys. I apologize. <laughs> Mark, uh, Mark, you finished what you're saying. I'm sorry. No, no problem. No, I listen, I, I just had a question from Matt. I want to jump into this because it actually goes back to what you're doing about teaching. He, he has a question. He says, he, obviously he's a brand new guitar player. He's like, what can new guitar players help to do to get over the idea of frustration? Uh, with the instrument? Um, you know, um, improvising is a great, I, I say improvise every day. When I, when I do my guitar clinics, um, I start out with improvising and, uh, 
always tell people, no matter what you do, when you sit down, try to play like two songs and just improvise to it. You're not going to get better unless you're doing that. Um, don't fall in the trap like I did for so many years by sitting down and, and playing one lick until you got it for, for a week straight. Cause then you're just, you become a stiff player, I think. And you're, and, um, you're not being able to, uh, express yourself as much as you would if you're practicing your improvisation and your feeling, your bending. And, um, I'm, you know, you asked me that question, but I'm frustrated every single damn day when I'm playing guitar, when I'm trying to learn new things, but being able to break out of that and then just spending, having some, some me time where you just get to play and have fun. I think that's when you get better is when you're just having fun and you're just playing and you're improvising and you're expressing yourself. Um, if, if theory is too much for you to take in, take four notes and do everything you can with four notes, you know, then make it five notes, keep it in one spot. And then maybe take those five notes and put them up an octave and play them on the, or put them up on the next string group, you know, um, take baby steps and work your way up. Well, uh, I think it's really amazing though. When a lot of people who are beginning at anything, doesn't matter if it's guitar or sports or whatever, when they hear that a professional who's been doing a long time still gets frustrated with the instrument. I, I think that makes them feel like, you know, they're not so far behind that everyone runs. Oh, into yeah. that. So oh, Matt, take that yeah. to heart, buddy. Thank you so much for the question, Mark. Thank you for the answer that I think that's something he can definitely uh, grasp upon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mark, I hate to hammer on you about more community stuff, but since we are on the Making Waves podcast right now and we're uh, it's powered by the ship, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your first time um, coming on Shiprocked and uh, subsequently what has happened uh, to your own personal life, the band's life, you know, all that throughout the years of being a part of the family? No, I mean, first time, I think it was Tremonti that played the first time we played Shiprocked. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you don't know what it's going to be like uh, until you get on there. And, and um, from the fir- very first hour I was on there, I loved it. You know, it was, um, it seems like a big community out there. Everybody's cool to one another. It's no, um, you know, you think I'm going to get on this cruise ship and there's going to be 900 drunk, you know, folks just uh, wanting to party all day long. And uh, it, it is kind of true, <laughs> but everybody's cool. and you're like, I'm the drunkest one. <laughs> I, I, you know, at, at moments I am the drunkest one, but everybody's, yeah. cool. everybody's, everybody's having a good time. Um, nobody's obnoxious unless they're just being funny about being obnoxious and you enjoy them being obnoxious. You know, it's, it's uh, I love it. And you know, one of the best things is, uh, and I, and I can't even bring up names right now because I forget them all, but the, one of the, my favorite things to do is to go and hit the smaller venues during the afternoon or during, whenever the bands start playing and find some band you never heard of. And every time I go out, I'll, I'll take the flyer of the list of bands and I'll pop on YouTube every, song, every band I've never heard of before. And I find some hidden gems in there and I'll just go and find them. You know, that's, I love doing that. That's incredible. Uh, you, you know, for any, any, anybody who's listening right now that's in a, any younger band to hear somebody of your stature say that you're, you're spending the energy, your time and energy, just not only acclimating to the idea of being uh, a, a part of the community, but also like researching what is happening around you. I don't, I don't know how, uh, how unique, uh, I don't know if you know how unique that may or may not be, but to hear that, as like a, a guy who came up just waiting and hoping and, and, and praying that one of my, my idols ever listened to my band to know that that's a potential. That's a, a massive motivational tool. man. We all love music. That's why we do it. 
yeah. because we've always loved music. And then um, you're not going to get on that boat unless you got some some skills of some sort, you know. So you're not just going to run into some shitty band around every corner. You know, people people earn their way on that boat. People earn, you know, anywhere in the music business, if there's a band playing outside of their hometown, they've earned it, you know. So I hate to hear anybody talk any kind of trash about any band out there because it's harder than ever to, to, to make it uh, as a professional musician right now. And uh, when you're out there and you're doing it, like getting on ship rock, that's a huge accomplishment. So every band out there deserves to be checked out for sure. I, I think that's, that's more, I think you hit upon it. I think the, the, the people come on ship rock, they're very versed in music. Um, obviously they'll know your stuff backwards and forwards, but they're also very open to minded about it. And, they'll allow someone like yourself to freely go into shows and not bother you because they know you're paying attention to what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Because as, as much as you are a musician, you're also, you're a fan as well. Yeah. You know, so, they'll, they'll, they'll hand me a free beer, you know, <laughs> here's a beer. Buddy. Always good. Yeah. Always Thank, good. You. Thank you. <laughs> now we know the true motivation. I show up in the <laughs> afternoon <laughs> people in the room are like, what's up? It's for Monday. Here's a free booze. <laughs> well, I got you. I love I a question from Steve. And this is an interesting question. Uh, you want to know, is there any track that you ever do with Creed that you'd like to try again with Alter Bridge? Like, is there something you'd like to see how Alter Bridge would do that same track? No, we, we never crossed those, those lines. Okay. You know, we, um, when we started Alter Bridge, we made it a, a, a hard struggle to make sure that we stood out on our own. Yeah. And when we put out that first record, people called us Creed Part Two. You know, Creed was just another singer and all that nonsense. And then we came out with Blackbird and all that went away. By the time we got out with AB3, we were just Alter Bridge. We were no longer the dudes, you know. Yeah. The, the Creed thing kind of kind of went away. But um, not not that we're running away from. We're just, we just, it's just a different thing, you know. It's uh, Miles and Scott are very different people, very different singers. Um, Scott's not going to go around singing Alter Bridge songs. Miles is not going to go around singing Creed songs, you know. Right, right. No, like, yeah, I kind of figured that was the case, but, you know, we, we want to certainly people want to, uh, it's in the back of their heads. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Do, you know, such and such, but no, thank you. Uh, yeah, it, it's funny. Uh, just looking at your output, and I would realize why would there ever be a need to ever do anything like that? Because you have so much material from the acts you're working with at that time, being yourself or Alter Bridge. It's like, we've got a, got a lot here. We're good. Yeah, no, people want to see Creed sung by Scott Stapp, you know? People absolutely, want to, people, absolutely. That's the way it's meant yeah. to be. Hey, Jack, uh, can I sneak in another quick question? While I, while yeah, I got of course. And this comes from Stephanie, and this is going to kind of go back to the writing aspect. When you're doing the book for, uh, when you're doing your book, was there any, are there any authors that are inspiring to you for writing? Oh, man, so many. Um you know, I'm, I'm nowhere near as good as any of the writers that I look up to. And that's why it's been something that I thought would be such a huge uh, accomplishment to actually write a, a novel. Um, so when I was, yeah, like Joe Amber Crombie is one of my favorites, Gene Wolfe. Um, of course, George R. R. Martin wrote one of my, you know, Game of Thrones was one of my favorites for, for years and years and years and years. So when that finally came out on HBO, that was, I was glued to the TV. Um, <laughs> But I'm more, I'm a sci-fi fantasy world kind of thing. You know, I, I read all kinds of books, but I, I love, uh, you know, um, Joe Haldeman, you know, sci-fi kind of stuff. And, um, you know, Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss is a killer, killer book. I actually gave him a guitar for one of his charities. And, you know, I tried to, I've reached out to a few authors over the years to kind of try to befriend them because I'll meet rock, rock dudes and I'll meet 
athletes, but I'm an author nerd. I'm so, I'm so impressed by these people. Um, I remember one time I was over in, uh, I think I was in Nottingham or something and, uh, or Newcastle and I'm in a bookstore. I took my, my wife and my kids there. And, uh, as I'm leaving, I see this big banner that says, uh, Brandon Sanderson doing an in-store meet and greet or whatnot. I'm like, damn, that's killer. I've read, I've read a few of his books. I'd love to meet him. And what times it say it was 10 minutes later. It was that day in 10 minutes. And I'm standing out there going, holy shit. He's and then he gets a car pulls up. He walks out of the car and I'm like, Brandon said, Hey, I'm, I'm Mark Tremonti and this and that. And you know, I'm playing in concert in town and blah, blah. And he's like, you're in Creed. I love Creed. And yeah, I'd, I'd love to come see your show, but I'm going to the next thing. And we, we stayed in contact on social media for a minute, but I get overexcited about authors because I think they're just, I love their imaginations and they're just like songwriters, but they create a much bigger, deeper story, you know? So it's, it's, uh, Jesus, yeah. man. <laughs> Kismet right there. Yeah. That's man. good, man. It's always exciting to see someone from another creative ass genre aspect or whatever you cut across paths and you're like, you can kind of geek out for a while and not feel oh, like yeah. you're about it. Get that another person reading books. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, definitely. I hope you got your answer. Uh, I, I, she's probably, she obviously is a very big book person. So she's, uh, she just said sci-fi too. So she probably knows a lot of those authors. So thanks. Yeah, Mark. Nice. Mark. Mark, did you ever play, uh, when you were a younger or maybe now, uh, were you ever into like things like dungeons, dungeons and dragons, uh, or any sort of like mental role-playing games? Was I ever, was I ever, Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, my, <laughs> can can you tell me like what what got you into it? Because th- th- this is so. Th- Dio, I feel like this kinship that happens here. Uh, I can tell you a crazy, crazy Dungeons and Dragons story. So yes, I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons. My older brother was you know the dungeon master the, and the DM. We play all <laughs> yeah. We play all the time, and um, it wasn't nerdy for us. It was everybody up in Michigan played it. You know, it was killer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways. I would put the player's handbook and dungeon master's guide and the, and the modules in front of me. And I'd look at the art all the time. And I put the art, you know, the save those, all those things. And one day my brother sold them all so pissed. But, um, <laughs> but anyways, I go into the Paul Reed Smith office and he's got a dragon on his wall and it, and it looked like dungeons and dragons art. And, um, so I'm like, Paul, Paul Reed Smith, what is, what is that piece of art in the wall? He's like, well, that's uh, a famous Dungeons and Dragons dragon artist painted that for our guitar, for like a design for our guitar. I'm like, Jeff Easley? He's like, yeah, Jeff Easley. He's like, you know Jeff Easley? I'm like, hell yeah, he's, a, he's like the D&D guy. So he's like, you know what? I'll send it to Jeff and have him sign it to you. So Jeff Easley signed a painting, sent it to me, and gave me his phone number. I called him up and I said, you wouldn't happen to have any of the art from the original books, hardcover books and modules, would you? He's like, yeah. I'm like, you have the monster manual? He's like, yeah, I got that. I'm like, you have the player's handbook? Yeah. Do you have the manual of plans? I bought all of that art back in the day. I had, I had the player's handbook and the monster manual in my bedroom. My wife put up with it, but, uh, I'm like tearing up. That's so incredibly cool. It was, you know, for guys like us that know about it, it was, it was a dream come true having that stuff. 
So. Yeah, I mean, you spend every night, right? I don't, I don't know about you, but I grew up the same exact thing. Michigan. I mean, yeah, I mean, we didn't think it was nerdy, but you know, if you couldn't, you didn't go to school the next day beside your friends and be like, yo, stayed up to like six a.m. with a can of Surge, you know, or whatever it was, playing like Dungeons and Dragons. No, play Call yeah. of Duty all night. It's just like playing Call of Duty, but we didn't have badass video games. We had, you know, we had pong. badass brain holes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The idea of what you just said, like, you know, that if you're not familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, uh, just go ahead and look up the artist that we just, that, that, that Mark just mentioned those, the, the artistic textures that you would see specifically in sitting in front of you all the entire, the, the entire quest, because your dungeon masters, like, you know, like they would have the artworks facing you and you, I would go to bed every night and just have these lucid dreams about Siobhan dragons and, you know, and all of these other things. And the fact that you not only, um, you know, had that interaction, but also have oh, that yeah. in your collection. That's huge. Man. I that's trace so cool. them all. I've got books full of trace and try, you know, tried to draw it, but I wasn't very good back then. And uh, yeah, he was a very nice guy. He just thought nothing of it. Yeah. I just got leaning against the wall in my garage. You can have, you know, I, I bought it for next to, you know, he didn't, you know, you think a guy like that would charge yeah. an arm and a leg, but he's just a nice guy about it. Wow, that's yeah. so cool. Congratulations. Speaking of locking away in a basement, doing stuff, uh, <laughs> during COVID, Mark, uh, Mike wants to know, what have you been listening to? Jeez, like I've, been writing. I've been writing and writing, but lately I've been listening to a, a lot of Frank Sinatra. I love Frank Sinatra. Oh, Blue um, Eyes, what's going on there? You know, they just came out also with that, that new documentary, which is awesome. It's, um, oh, fantastic. Fantastic. And I love to sing some Frank Sinatra. It's, it's just, I, yeah, I just like to walk around the house singing Frank Sinatra. So it's, uh, he's, uh, he's the man. His story's awesome. Um, it's very unmetal, but it's, it's awesome. No, I love it. His life is very metal. I, I, you know what, Mark, why not an acoustic version of, uh, by Tremonti of Summer Wind or something? I would what? love it. I would love it. <laughs> no, it's he's, his his vocal range is perfect for me. <laughs> Ser, I mean, seriously, that's there a, you go. <laughs> that's a great. Justin is. I mean, that's a great idea. If you're, you do have like the, this candor too about you. You have this this smokiness in your delivery as a human, just the, the way that you talk. You would crush that, man. Yeah. Oh man. So I'm gonna Mike, write. I'm gonna write a Christmas album. Oh, wow. uh, Bing Crosby style. <laughs> Mark has been listening to the chairman of the board, so that's how he's been spending the summer, which is a, a summer very well spent, by the way. So, thanks, Mike. Mark, thanks. Yeah. I have so many questions now. Then that you're uh, <laughs> that I found out that you're you're uh, you're a D and D head man. Uh, this yeah, this this. This comic book attached to the Dying Machine record. Who did the art? Can you can you like talk a little bit more? Well, uh, I mean, you mentioned it, but you know. oh, it's yeah, not. It, no, no. We just, um, you know, it's funny. I, I wrote the book uh, and then we put it out and and released it for the fans. Got it pressed in a hard hardcover book, and and um, I have an agent that's shopping it for a publishing deal. And it's taken it's taken a while. You know, it's it's. Uh, she says, you know, be patient, something will happen, blah, blah, blah. So in the meantime, somebody came and, and approached us about doing a graphic novel, or a, it's not a graphic novel, but a comic. And um, so I guess some of the guys who did the Marvel art and whatnot um, work for this company that want to do the book. So uh, we just came to terms on the, the 
you know, the, the tedious uh, legal work and now ready to do the book. Um, but in the meantime, since that deal came together I, in, on uh, tomorrow at one o'clock, I get on the phone with a uh, big, big five publishing house to talk about maybe a, a, a book deal. So that's, that's the most exciting thing going on in my world right now. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't want to take credit for the, this, this, this conversation because this is something that Justin wanted to, to touch on. And I'm sure he has more, more uh, questions about this, but I, I, have, to, I have to ask uh, before I uh, turn it over to Justin. Um, did, you, did you just, is this something that you were dreaming of and then you just kind of kept talking about it until somebody said yes? Yes. I mean, this is, this is uh, you know, when the, when the book was done, um, it came out and people, people dug it. And I was very nervous to release it because it was my first novel, but, um, everybody dug it. And I, and, uh, when my agent read it, she loved it. And she sent it to, uh, uh, she sent it to a, a man who, who has done so many TV deals and he, he loved it. And, um, I was so excited. I'm like, I have a writing agent and I've got this guy who does all these TV deals and he's trying to push it for a TV show. He's, um, and then nothing happened for like a year. So I was just kind of like, when you're on the top of the world, like, yes, something's going on. Then nothing happens. It's kind of depressing, you know? So I, mm -hmm. uh, I kind of lost faith in it. And then, um, when the comic book deal, I mean, the uh, comic book thing came around, I was excited about it, but I really, really wanted to get, I wanted to become a published author, you know? And, uh, so just, um, about two weeks ago, I think it was, I got a call from my agent, all excited about this big time executive editor wanting to, just read the book again on his vacation and wants to get on the phone with me tomorrow about, uh, about my next book and this book and maybe doing a multi-book deal. So it's, uh, that would be, you'd see about the happiest guy in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Who knows? That's fingers so fingers cool. crossed. Mark, I got uh, every finger crossed. The yeah. idea of a book and, you know, obviously when you get to that point where the, the books start coming in and then you've got this concept is you start going, well, wonder what this would look like as a Netflix show or a series or, I mean, yeah. is that something that's on your mind or, you know, it wasn't, it. you know, I, I, I try to come up with some imagery for it, but, um, it wasn't until, uh, one of my, one of my friends is like, yeah, he was friends with the guys who did, um, um, with the Marvel, the big Marvel movie, the end game or whatnot, the brothers. Yeah. He was like, yeah, man, you get me, you get me a good copy of the book. I'll send it to the brothers and this and that. So then it starts, the book starts getting more and more theatrical, more, um, uh, you think of that, you think of how it looked on the screen. And so when the book got turned into the, to, um, this company that does all the TV stuff, they loved it. And, um, they got me all excited. They, I think they've had meetings with, uh, all kinds of folks, nothing's landed yet, but, um, they're like, you know, what? in the, in the TV and in the movie business, you get 99 no's before you get a maybe. So you just got to be patient and, uh, see what happens. Speaking of visuals, Lenny asks, is there ever going to be a Tremonti DVD? Um, you know, maybe, hopefully, you know, we recorded a DVD. Um, I think it was, uh, I think we recorded it in Manchester and there's great show. We did a real long set list. And then I think when I saw the footage back, you know, I just felt like I could do better. You know, I was singing like a caveman in the show and, and, uh, I want it to be now that I'm, now I'm using in-ears. I never used in-ears until this last Alter bridge tour. Oh, wow. And, and I feel like my vocals are much more controlled and much, um, more on point, you know, I don't want to put out a DVD before, you know, so we'll see what happens. 
That's interesting, Mark. So you just, if I, if I as from fellow singer guy, uh, you for your entire how long? So you're saying like 2019, this last uh, Alderbridge yeah. tour, this is the first time that you put some in ears in. Yeah, and you got to have that awkward feeling with yourself for the first yes. time ever, where you're like, yeah. "This sucks so bad." <laughs> it sucks <really> <laughs> <laughs> but all of those years, man, you just been yeah. blasting. Wow. Oh, yeah. I could, I was the only guy out there just, uh, but you know, miles over the years would get more and more. Um, you know, he, he used to be in the center of the stage. Now he's on, he's the lead singer who's on the right side of the stage. I'm yeah. on the left side of the stage and the bass players in the middle, Brian's in the middle. So he wouldn't have to be around my loud so now he's turning off the side of my wedges on his side so nothing gets into his microphone and you know so i'm like you know what let's just i'm gonna try to be a good guy and do it do it for the band and i waited until we had a you know a month or two break between tours and then i came back with the in-ears for rehearsals and uh patty our monitor engineer is one of the best at, at dialing those in and now i love them now i'm now i'm down with it yeah, that's awesome. And that's so hilarious to, to think about the singer, like just b- boxing you out. Yeah, you know, like the idea is like, you know, I'm just going to go over here and he starts shutting down things. It's like, this motherfucker is going to get in ears. I don't want to be the guy that has to push him over the edge. But I just start feeling like an asshole because I'm like, I'm just going to play loud. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> You're oh, going to laugh, but I just got four requests in a row. I think everyone kind of dog poly each other. Like, hey, Mark, can you play us a riff? Play a riff. Oh, Are you man. plugged in in there? Uh, I'm well. Yeah, I'm plugged in. What kind of riff you want to hear? Some some Any, anything you got, bud. Anything you got. One of the this one so thousand cool. you have. Uh, this is so cool. Riffs. I don't even have riffs. Um, this is a first, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we've ever. You know, it's, you know, it's the first is. Uh, this is my new, my signature amp that I'm dialing in right now. It's called the MT100. What? And nobody's heard right. it. It's going on. Mark, I'm glad you mentioned that because we had several questions regarding that amp. So thank you, guys. This is what it sounds like. This is what it sounds like. Let's see. No, can we? It's so fucking loud. It's not even. sounds like. Yeah, it's it it, it it was it was loud to the point where like uh, it, that uh, it actually canceled out the entirety of like the world. The world got sucked in. That's what the amp sounds like. Creates a void in the world. Dude, that is so cool. Can, uh, I don't know if it's paused. Can I? Can we see that gu- your guitar that you just played? Is this one of your signatures? Yeah, it's just a so, black one. I love this one. Oh my god! What's that bridge uh, pickup you have in there? Uh, that's my. Um, that's actually my signature pickup. I knew it. Yeah. Hey, there's a few people say they couldn't. Hear. Is there a reason why some people couldn't hear that when you just played? I don't know. Maybe because it's too loud for the computer. To <laughs> yeah, it might be too, too too heavy. Become heavier. At home, and you don't have a guitar tech at home. You leave all these strings all dangling. Yep. It says nobody heard it. No one got a chance to hear it. Is there? Well, you'll have to come hear it live. 
It's like you a had, fucking dog whistle. Yeah. Well, you heard it, Chad, right? I heard it. Okay, I great. heard it. I'm a, <laughs> All right, I'm a guys. dog. It was, it was so loud. It actually, well, basically time space continuum right over your system. Awesome. Is this your first amp? Like no, your first well, I came out with the MT-15 two years ago. Okay. Um, I'm an amp fanatic. So I, um, we dialed it in for a long, long time and I got together with Paul Reese Smith and, uh, um, Doug Sewell to create it. And, uh, I, I, am such a fanatic when it came out, I was really nervous to release it because I didn't want to hear anybody say, you know, that amp sucks or it doesn't <laughs> sound this or that. But when it came out, we got best in show at, uh, at NAMM. So it's, uh, it's, and we, I told Paul, I'm like, I want this amp to be under $600. I want it to be wow. affordable and I want it to sound better than any amp I have. And, uh, that's what we did. Price has gone up about a hundred bucks since just because, I don't know, the things just prices go up in that, in the gear world over time. But, um, because it's so, it's, fr- it's, it's so far, good by far. I, th- I just think in that price range is the best sound amp you could ever have. It's, it kills. I've got all these amps in here, just stacks and stacks of amps. And it's my favorite amp. Yeah. Now the NT 100 is my favorite amp, but, um, it's, it's a killer amp. So, uh, I have one quick question about, uh, about your, your, um, your, tone your everything what was it i don't know how to really word this this question so because i don't i i don't i'm not mark tremonte but there had to have been a moment right i think every guitar player has to say yes right you stop you stop you stop cutting the mids or or whatever it is when you're when you're creating that you figure out the the pickups um you know scenario that works best for what you're trying to accomplish what was the uh that that moment for you uh, you know like where what gear were you playing on that you were just like okay i take this 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 and combine it into this and it will be mine so um, curious I'm a, I'm a big believer in two amps at one time I, I i even told paul when i did a signature amp I'm like even though i'm doing a signature amp with 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 you guys, I always mix amps. Two amps to me always sound better than any one amp. I, I think that you you get the best out of one amp and you partner it up with its dream partner and they fill a big, huge frequency range that uh, sounds like a wall. Um, mm-hmm. So if I'm just using a, I grew up um, loving Mesa Boogie rectifiers. And I think, I think rectifiers are about the meanest, the biggest bully of the amps. You put all these amps next, next to one another and the rectifier is just the, the heaviest sounding amp. Everybody comes out with these metal amps that have that metal scoop tone, but the boogie is just a bully. It's, it's just mm-hmm. a, a beast of an amp. Um, so, or, you know, the MT-15, MT-100 are kind of in that, in that, you know, that type of big, big thick sound. But then I mix that sound with a rounder amp, like a, like a Bogner Ubershaw or a PRS Archon, those are big, heavy metal kind of sounding amps, but they're, they're not the high end on them. Isn't, isn't as, as, as bright as, as the Mesa boogies. So when you mix, you mix them together, you have that rich flowy, smooth lead tone from the Bogner side of things or the PRS Archon side of things. And then you have just the ball busting boogie stuff. Cause if you play the boogie by itself, I don't necessarily love the lead tone by itself. I don't like the clean tone by itself. If I take the PRS Archon, I might, it doesn't kick your ass as good as the, the rectifier sometimes. Um, but together, they feel the best. They make the best of both worlds. So on tour right now, I've got a, uh, I've got a, P, uh, I've got a uh, PRS Archon, 
and I've got a um, Revision F Mesa Boogie rectifier. Uh, Revision Fs are my favorite voicing of, of the rectifier at this point. So I've got I've got two Revision Fs. The one I have on the road is, is my favorite that I've that I've bought. Wow, that's I I wanted to ask then. Sorry to nerd out a little bit harder on this guitar. How many times do you have to like figure, fail to figure this, these marriages out of these particular uh, types of, I mean, you know, like I know exactly the first time that I could, I can literally see you sitting down and plugging in your guitar to uh, a rectifier uh, at, at the mere age of what made 16 or something like that. And be like, what the fuck is this? Because I did the same. I mean, I think, I think every guitar player ever who plugs into it for the first time ever yeah. does the same yeah. thing, but you had to figure out what to do to marry that. So how many, Biffs did you have before you fucking, oh, you know? Well, it's, sick. it's, I, I'm like a, uh, I'm like, uh, I, I collect amplifiers. So I'm, I'm, I have a, I have a habit and I've got a bad habit. <laughs> I collect them and collect them and collect them. So every year, every time I go on tour, I might have two or three new amps that I haven't gotten to play. It's one thing having an amp at home. It's another thing, bringing it into a big venue and being able to hear how it sounds in a venue. So I'll go to my first, shows with all my new amps and I'll partner them up with, with the rectifier or whatever, whatever I'm, maybe it's the Archon that I'm mixing next when I get the MT 100, I'll put that up there and I'll drag out all my favorite other amps and play them all together. Um, but usually, you know, for a long time, it was the Bogner Ubershaw and the, and the Mesa rectifier for a lot of years. Now the PRS Archon fills that, uh, Ubershaw spot and the Ubershaw is still an awesome amp. Um, but my Ubershaw is special. It's, it's, I keep it at home now. It's, uh, it's just, it's, I've got a lot of history with it, so I don't want it to get messed up on the road. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, every tour I go on, I, I just bring out my new amps. So I've got, I've got some new amps coming uh, by the Omega Amp Works guys uh, uh, this week. So I'm excited to play those. And everybody who plays those amps say they're incredible. So I can't wait to check them out. And I'll bring those out for the next show and see how they work. Nice. So is Joey still doing front of house for, with you guys? Yeah. Oh yeah. Is is day one like just absolutely a fucking nightmare for Joey? Joey's like, <laughs> Joey's still under pressure, man. He's he's uh, he is. like a cucumber. He's a pro. Yeah, yeah like a cucumber. <laughs> yeah. He's cool. He's pulling under pressure to me. I'm sure back behind the scenes, he he gets he gets stuff done. But uh, he's. I love when Joey's behind the board, you know, you're going to sound good. He's about the best sounding mixer I've ever heard. Spent a couple of months with you and I can and agree every night. Mark, we, have a, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of musicians and a lot of players on tonight watching. We've got one of them, Brian, he, he says that one of the best things about Alter Bridge is your bridge transitions. Is there any songs that you that stand out for you where the bridges, uh, that you like? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I, I always, I always, when I'm running a song, I want to make the bridge the best part of the song. I want it to be that one part that happens that you never hear again, that maybe you hear it on the outro song, but that part that keeps you coming back to listen to that song again. It's the most uh, emotive, the most epic part of a song. And, and uh, yeah, bridges are definitely sometimes overlooked by some, some bands, you know, sometimes they're just a transitional piece just to get back to the last chorus, but I like to make them the, the climax of the song. Thank you, that's Brian. Nice. I hope that satisfied. Uh, that's incredible. I just love I love hearing that kind of speak. It's fantastic, Brian. I hope you hope you enjoyed that as well. Uh, Chad, we've had Mark here graciously for an hour. Anything else you want to add? No, I mean, I not, not that I, I, I 
I'll just give them a call or something and ask them more about Dungeons and Dragons. But the idea of, of, of learning this much more about, about you just furthers that, uh, you know, the earlier sentiments that I had made about you being not only the, an incredible prophylactic player from Detroit, but also a super cool dude. But now you're into Dungeons and Dragons and novels. I geek out on fucking comedians, you know, like that's my, my thing. So you just keep the layers of your onion are vast, my friend. And I oh, just thank you for right taking the time to talk with us. You know, thank you. Thank you. Uh, one last question from Kim. And this is, I think it's probably a good one to end, end on here. She wants to know if the, uh, if Alter Bridge is going to reschedule dates for 2021 that, that obviously got interrupted this year. Yeah. We're, you know, if, if it were up completely up to me, I would just start off where we left off and keep touring through the whole rest of the year. But, um, We'll probably end up doing half a year again with Alter Bridge before we switch gears because, you know, that's uh, Miles just recorded a solo record. I'm recording a solo record at the end of the year. I'm sure Miles is going to have to do some slash work. Um, but we're, uh, like I said, we'll probably put in another six months of Alter Bridge touring. Um, we wanted to do 18 months of touring on the record. This is our first, you know, this is our, uh, our, our most successful record to date, and then we didn't get the tour on it. So we're all disappointed we didn't get to really uh see this this record through oh, well you'll have some time then to write that novel there you go yeah for sure uh, guys out there we've really appreciated it and you've been so gracious with your time tonight thank you so much um guys if you want to help out uh, the crew from alter bridge you can go to com and buy a special crew shirt there that'll help out the road crew while we're all kind of dormant right now you can also go to tremonti.com to pick up apparel and any of his uh, music and there's a lot to choose from guys. So, uh, you know, by all means, keep supporting these artists are fantastic. Mark, thank you so much, my friend. This has been fantastic. And I hope everyone, I learned certainly a lot and, uh, this is, this has been a great evening. So thank well, you so much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Dude. Thank you so much, man. You, Absolutely. So good to see you. Wish I could say right. I'm going to see you in January, but that's I, know. I might show up at your front door. Who knows? <laughs> Hey, man. You know, you know we're visits. <laughs> yeah. so, hey guys, real quick out there. Remember, we have uh, we'll have another Making Waves every Wednesday going forward here. So we'll uh, be announcing the next one this weekend. It's going to be amazing. This one has been fantastic. And uh, if you guys are a guitar player and you, and, and you, and you want to see this again or listen to some of Mark's stories or some of his uh, his gear, by all means, you can go to uh, all the podcasts we mentioned, iTunes, Spotify, and Google. And you can also rewind this show on Facebook for about 48 hours. You can check it out there and then turn your friends onto it. Uh, again, buy Walk the Sky, uh, buy Dying Machine, buy anything that's got Mark's name on it. You'll certainly uh, be paid back in spades. Thank you for everyone. Everyone, take care. Thank you. See you on the flip side of the eight-sided die, my man. <laughs> 20-sided die. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Good night. See you. See you guys.
Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.